We're doing a, a series at the moment called Hearts and Minds. And it's just an, a, a general, an, an overall look at the importance of your mind. Now, with one voice, I want you to shout out loud and clear, what happened to your mind when you got saved? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. We got saved. It's a spiritual happening. God breathes his life into you. The Holy Ghost comes alive inside you, but your mind is not changed. And that's, there's something in life, that some things that God does, and there's some things that we must do. And if we don't do them, they don't get done. And the renewal of the mind has got to be top of that list. And it is staggering when you look at Scripture and you actually take it apart. You can, you know, it's like an optical illusion. You can look at the Bible one day and see nothing. And once you understand the centrality of the mind, man, scriptures just pop out left, right, and center. I mean, everywhere you go, it points to the extensive nature of the control of this mind we've got. I mean, your moral conduct, Romans tells us, is controlled by our mind. Your finances are controlled by your mind. Think poor, be poor. Your health can be controlled by your mind. And God puts it very succinctly in Proverbs when he says, it's as simple as this, as you think, so you are. So you're the product of your mentality, like it or not, born again or not. And the sad truth is this. Most people get saved. They arrive in the church with a load of baggage from the past, a load of bad attitudes, a load of weaknesses, a load of addictions or faults or failings or little ways. And the only thing that's different is we're now born again. And these things can remain for the whole of your Christian life. And goodness knows there's too many believers like that. Amen. Surrounded in churches with people like that. Oh, so-and-so's got a bad temper. Well, if they've been saved for a year, that should not be the case. Why is that not being addressed? Or so-and-so's like this, or so-and-so's like that. I fear that my mentality is something that I can just let happen to me. I can just let life happen. Remember, if you don't lead your life, life will lead you. If you don't take yourself by the scruff of the neck and drag yourself into the kingdom and into kingdom principles, believe me, there'll be plenty of others who will lead you. Plenty. So watch your mentality. Don't let it just happen to you. My mentality is something I need to sculpt through this book. I need to look at how God wants me to think, how God wants me to react in every situation I find myself in. You know, the, the natural man will automatically go wrong, right? If you just leave, it's like a garden. You don't have to plant weeds in a garden. Weeds are in the air. Weeds blow and they just grow. You've got to get the weeds out. It's flowers you've got to plant. It's the good stuff that takes work and particularly with the way we have been made. Very quickly, could I have six men and six women to come and stand behind me? One, two, three, four. Six men, six women. Six men, six women. Jeanette, come and stand at the front here. Just stand there. Men on this side, please, and just as couples. Don't want to cause an argument. No, no, you stand back there. <laughs> Helen, come up here. Agnes, come up. Come on up, please. Serge. 
So form couples. It doesn't matter if it's not your wife just for this moment. Um, can we have a woman for Gordon? Is there any woman who'd take Gordon? There we go. Praise the Lord. Come on up. Okay. I need six couples. Six couples. There's one couple. There's two couples. No one. Okay. We need a wife for Kay. Come on. Come on. Elizabeth, come on up here. Okay. Serge hasn't got a wife. Come on. Come on. Come on. Pui, get up here. Oh, he's got one. Sorry, we can't. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry. Whoa. You're only allowed one. Praise the Lord. Okay. Listen. Okay, so these are couples. Could you separate, please? Couple on that side. That's it, exactly right. Oh, no. That's, good. that's it? Okay. You, you, you can go over there. You stand there. Oh, I see you're with him, are you? Okay. <laughs> go back there. Okay, okay, okay. There's supposed to be three couples on each side. Use your imagination. Listen. What makes up your mentality? We can't just leave it to nature. I can't just leave it to blow in in the wind. Do you know what makes up your mentality? Several things, actually. There's several factors. There's three big ones. Let me show them to you. The first one is your gene pool. And believe it or not, your gene pool, this is my wife, so here I am. Now, when I met my wife, we come together, we get married, we go into the bedroom, we close the door, we're not alone. All these people are in there. What are you doing in there? <laughs> this is my mom and dad, our makeup for three generations back, make up my gene pool. Her parents, her grandparents, and her great-grandparents make up her gene pool. Now listen, what makes up your mentality? This is part of it. So when we come together, what happens is all of her clan and all of my clan collide. Yeah. So <laughs> all, the, all the habits, all the ways that were in her tradition are mixed in now with mine. The way they cook, the way they clean. Don't do much cleaning, really. The way they cook, the way they clean, the way they do everything. There's two kingdoms, there's two ways of living coming together. Now listen, if you don't prepare for that, you're crazy. And if as churches we live like the world and make no proper preparation for marriage, you're nuts. No wonder the divorce statistics are, are so high. This joining of kingdoms, this clash of kingdoms needs to be prepared for. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That's what we're going to look at today. Changing our mentality, preparing ourselves to live out of the good stuff. Thank you, folks. Don't get any ideas. Praise the Lord. Helen, he's coming back. There's Gordon there. It's all right. What makes up my mentality? Well, what makes up my mentality, number one, is my gene pool. And it goes back for three generations. And I've got to see that. I've got to accept it. And if there's anything wrong in it, there'd be bad stuff in there too, right? And we'll talk about that in a moment. I need to look at it and see it. Look at my family tree. Look at my dad. And look at his ways. Look at my mom. Look at her ways. The second thing that makes up your mentality or your temperament is what we're particularly going to look at is your history. We've all got a history. You, I was raised in a big family, you know. That really affected me. That's part of my history. I had a pretty poor education, right? That's part of my history. I had a certain social environment. This makes me into the person I am and you. But I can't just let it happen, can I? That would be really foolish. That, otherwise, life would be leading me, wouldn't it? 
and I wouldn't be leading my life or letting God guide me. There's my individuality, and what I mean by that is who I am in my character and my personality. But it's the last one that I want to focus on particularly this morning, and that is your temperament, because the temperament is, is described as my inborn traits, the traits that pretty much I got through my ancestry. And I want to look solely really at this this morning. You all know that line in the book of James where it says in chapter 1 verse 13, it says, no man should, should say that God tempts him, but each man is led astray by his own, and this is where it varies in different translations, his own lust, or in some versions it says strong desire, but that word there is emotion, strong emotion, that's the actual Greek word. And what James is actually alluding to is all of us can be led astray by your emotions. Watch those emotions, because they can be very strong. And that's what that scripture is actually referring to. I want to base this morning in 1 Peter, if you turn there, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Sorry, it's 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Ah, it must be 1 Peter, sorry. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. This is a great scripture. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives. It's talking about your wives. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with all understanding. Do you see that? Husbands, it's equally true to wives. It's saying husbands and wives dwell with each other with all understanding. Now, what on earth is Peter getting at here? Look at me a moment. This principle here is very important for having a reasonable life, for getting through life without having relationship problems in your marriage, with your children, in your workplace, in your college, wherever you find yourself, in church, for getting through life without being an awkward person or a difficult person. Peter says there's a way to do that. Dwell with people, understanding them. Understand yourself. Understand your own little ways. Understand that you can sometimes be difficult. But more than that, understand others. And husbands and wives, learn to live with each other with full understanding of what your partner is like. And that is what doesn't happen today. Nowhere near as much as it should. So I want to just begin by looking at emotions. Because your temperament manifests itself in the way you react emotionally in any situation you find yourself in. Let me just say a few things about emotions. First and foremost, everybody's got them. Some people like to pretend they haven't. Some people like to be like a swan. You know, on the surface seems so calm, but underneath they're pedaling like crazy, right? <laughs> We've all got them. Secondly, we are all responsible for them. I worked with a guy once, he stabbed a woman 98 times with a screwdriver. He got saved in prison, spent a long time in prison, and when he got out, he came to our church, you know. He didn't, he had a terrible anger problem, and he still had it. So I started working with him, you know, and I had to, t t to sit him down. One day I was sitting with him, trying to deal with this anger problem. I was saying, look, you've got a problem with anger. And he nearly exploded. He leaned over, put his face against my face and said, I haven't got a problem with anger. I thought, yeah. <laughs> never dealt with it. Never confronted it. He had emotions. 
He had developed a mentality. He thought of himself as a violent man. And what was he? A very violent man. If you asked him, that was his self-perception. As a man thinketh, so is he. Now, he had emotions. He felt he wasn't responsible for them. So what if I stabbed her 98 times? I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, he thought he wasn't responsible for them. I had to do that. I had to lose my time. I had to do this. I had to do that. It was my natural emotional reaction. That's okay, isn't it? No. We all have emotions. And don't pretend you haven't, because you have. We're all responsible for those emotions. Totally responsible. Otherwise, God couldn't judge you on them, right? But God judges people for anger in the Bible. So therefore, people are responsible for that. And you can see some fantastic examples in the world of people who have sanctified their mentality or their emotional responses, their temperament. Some of you will remember Gordon Wilson in Northern Ireland. It was Remembrance Day, about 25 years ago, I suppose, now. And Gordon Wilson went with his only child. It was a daughter, a girl. She was about 20 years old. And he went on Remembrance Sunday to remember those who had died in the war. And as he stood by the, the, the monument there in Enniskillen, bomb went off. And the strange thing was, he stood un, unhurt, but she was blown to smithereens. And Gordon Wilson came on the television. He's a Christian, a born-again Christian. Now, what would your reaction be? Now, he came on the television and he said, I've got one thing to say to those people who blew up my daughter, who took away my pride and joy, to look, who took away the little girl that I raised and brought up. I've got one thing to say. I forgive you. I forgive you. And the world sort of stood still, and that was shown all over the world, that, that little clip of his wonderful, wonderful control of his emotions, of his, how his mind had been changed. I don't think there's a father on earth who would naturally behave like that. Not naturally. You'd be crazy to naturally behave like that, right? Because it's your daughter. But so had he changed his thinking, so much had he become Christ-like, that he was able to face that storm with immense dignity and turn what was a terrible situation for good. You see, we do have emotions, we are responsible for them, and we can control them. If Gordon Wilson can control it, then so can we. I remember a guy coming into one of the drop-in centers we had. He was, he was a heroin addict, and his leg was damaged and his arm was damaged so he came in like this you know and we got talking to him i said you know what happened to your arm and he said ah oh, this guy hated me and we were shooting up one day and he waited till i conked out and then he scraped some mold off the wall he put it in a syringe and he injected me with it and since then i've been paralyzed down one side and that man started to tell us about what he was going to do to that man because he was they both still lived in the same city and he started to tell me, one day, I'm going to get him. One day, I'm going to get him. I'm going to lock him in a room. And he started to tell us how he was going to torture him. Not kill him, just torture him. And as I sat and listened to him, man, he was full of hatred, bubbling up like acid inside him. And we shut the center, and he was ready. I said, you sit down. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. He said, I'm go no, you're not going. Sit there. Everybody can go. 
And we closed the door. And I remember we spent hours with that man. I said, you're not leaving this place because that is more harm to you than this. You've got to get that out of your system. Out of my, you know, I hate him. I know, I know. Now you've got to accept the forgiveness that Christ offers you. And then you're going to have to let that guy go. Because if we do not forgive others, Christ says he will not forgive us. So you can't even make a, a, a footstep here with this unforgiveness in you. And we worked and we worked and worked and, and challenged his opinions. And you know, it was several hours later with, with, with profuse crying that that man took my hand and he said, God, I forgive him. Hallelujah. And was able to let it go. Something he'd carried, a mentality. I'm entitled to this. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not as a believer, that's for sure. Not as a human being, you shouldn't even have that, but certainly not as a believer. And all I'm saying this morning, folks, is I believe that our mentality, your mentality, is probably something that you've just let happen to you. It's probably something like a weed. That, no, I'm not calling you a weed, but some, something that's just growing up automatically, and maybe you've never stopped your life and thought to yourself, well, how do I behave? What is my temperament like? Am I bad-tempered, good-tempered? What's my disposition like? And if I go for the rest of my life with an undoctored temperament, I'm probably going to be unhappy in work, unhappy in my marriage, unhappy in my family relationships. Hey, I tell you what, let's just stop right here. And let's just think, what parts of me are not Christ-like? And that's what I want to do today. People who spend their lives studying this split Temperament, there's a lot of big words today. Don't worry about it. I want to introduce this topic and we'll look at it in seminars or whatever at a future date. But it's important that we do have some understanding of the mechanics of your temperament. People who study personality types and temperament types split them into two categories. There's the extrovert types and the introvert types. The introvert types being the melancholy, the phlegmatic. How many of you have heard these things before and have been through? It's about half. That's, that's pretty good. The extrovert types being the sanguine and the cleric. And it's very, very helpful for you and for me. I've done this many times in different churches and in different places where this has been taught. And it's a useful self-understanding. And it's also very useful to help you prosper in all relationships you're involved in. This, some of this is just my opinion. In my opinion, most of us have an introvert side and an extrovert side. Most of us could choose one off both of these lists. And as we go on through the morning, you'll be able to understand a little bit more about what each one of those temperament types is. But just to give you an example, Chris and Eileen here, we know them very well. They're friends of ours, but Chris would be... You ready for this, Chris? All right, take, take, take a deep breath. Okay. Chris would be a melancholy sanguine. Okay? That would be... And you'll understand what that means, so you no need to be insulted yet until I tell you what it means. Eileen... Eileen would be a cleric phlegmatic, quite the reverse. Her, her main dominant temperament feature would be there. Whereas Jeanette here, she would be a, a sanguine phlegmatic. But like Chris, I'm also a melancholic, but it wouldn't be my dominant temperament type. Cleric would be my dominant temperament type. And it's just very helpful, particularly within a marriage, very helpful, as Peter says, husbands, dwell with your wives with full understanding. No wonder so many marriages have problems. Dwell with one another, fully understanding the person. We'll just look at these, each one, briefly. 
the introvert types, well, first of all, the melancholy. What sort of person is that? Or what sort of temperament type is that? Well, these guys, or gals, do very well as artists. They're the arty types, the musicians, the thinkers, the philosophers. And that's all very good and very positive. Negatively, however, they can be pessimistic. Very pessimistic. A, 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 a melancholy husband, for instance, if his wife has a good idea, she says, oh, you know, let's go on holiday. Let's fly to Spain. The melancholy husband says, oh, what if the plane crashes? <laughs> or she says, you know, why don't we go for a walk? What if it rains? <laughs> and that can be, if you don't understand that temperament type, and you've, you know, you've never just studied your partner in light of that, that could lead to a lot of difficulty. He's the what if kind of guy. So negatively, a melancholy type temperament can be very moody, great big mood swings, one moment happy, one moment, you know, completely unhappy, massive swings just like that. It's good to know that rather than not know what's going on. Posit they're all negative. Positively, the melancholy type is extremely creative and they make excellent loyal friends and loyal husbands, faithful husbands, probably the most faithful of all the personality types or temperament types. But, you ready? <laughs> Don't cross a melancholy. So what should I mean? <laughs> don't, don't stamp on the toes of someone with that temperament type. Because you know what? They're the best of friends, but they are the worst of enemies. And I was just thinking yesterday, you know, a friend of mine got a, got, got a, a bee in his bonnet with this particular pastor, you know. And his life just went all wrong from then on. And he started to really go a little bit crazy. And he came, to, he flew in from another country to visit me just to talk about it because he couldn't control his temper. And he was the melancholy through and through. And I walked down a beach with that man. And I, and I was talking about this. You see your temperament type? You, you're, you're a great friend and is. But when you get something against someone, my oh my, you cannot let it go, can you? And he was almost like psychopathic towards this person and was struggling. He wanted, I mean, he really did want to kill him. He, I'm talking about a born-again believer here, right? Talking about a born-again believer who was so hurt by another man that there was really hatred in him. And as we walked, and praise God, he was able to exercise some of that out of his system. But what I want to get at, they're just generalities about the melancholy uh, people types. If, you, if you're moody or have great mood swings, this could be you. But I want you to see particularly how it relates within a marriage because this can be a case study that you can do. For instance, what is a melancholy husband like within the home? Well, it's not all good. It's not all bad. He's a bit of a moody, yes, perfectionist. He's extremely faithful, extremely creative and artistic. What is a melancholy wife like? Well, once again, moody. I would rather have a melancholy husband than a melancholy wife because I think the men can handle it better in, in, in that scenario. And do you know why? Because the melancholy type woman, the man will never be able to understand her. But that's okay. It's the next bit that's bad. She can't understand herself. <laughs> that's the hard bit. Now, you can live with someone and not understand them, but I would find it very difficult to live with someone who didn't know what was going on inside their own mind, you know? And that's why that is not good. Not good at all. And would need a lot. And that's a, a, a place you find yourself in then you need a Bible. And you need to start to change your thinking within your marriage, okay? Melancholy husbands are not that bad, but I think melancholy wives are an absolute disaster.
right? <laughs> Next personality type. It's the phlegmatic. Now, the phlegmatic types are the nicest type of people. They tend to be extremely even-tempered. Now, Jeanette is phlegmatic, not dominantly. She's sanguine dominantly, but she has a, a, the, the other half of her, her temperament is definitely phlegmatic. She's very even-tempered. Now, you might think, well, that's great, and it is. It's absolutely excellent. But these people, typically, they make good accountants, good technicians, good diplomats. But they tend not to change Pastor Tom here, quite phlegmatic. Right? And what I mean by that is very cool, very calm, in a multitude of circumstances, very little change, and that's got great, great strengths. Right? Easy to see. However, within a marriage, that can drive you a bit nuts sometimes. Where's Helen? Hi, Helen. <laughs> So, I'll give you an example. When we got married, right? Now, I had a worry problem. I was a professional worrier. Everything, all day, round and round in my mind. And I'm not anymore. Hallelujah. I'm completely free of that. And it was through marriage that God got that out of my system. But one of the things that would drive me mad about Jeanette's phlegmatic side is she's not a worrier. It doesn't matter what's happening. She's singing hymns and wandering around the house. So, I'm worrying. We've got a problem. And I go in to share it with her and she's, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I said, don't sing that now. He's trying to explain to her, don't you know the order of events? First we worry, then we sing songs, then we pray. So come back here. And she wouldn't do it. You couldn't make her worry. It was like, you know, Velcro or whatever. It wouldn't, it, you couldn't put it on her even if you tried. And I've spent my life as a worrier and her, her inability to worry annoyed me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and not only that, but phlegmatics don't get very excited. You know? Liverpool score a goal. Yes! Oh, that's good, yeah. Well done, Joe, right? You know? And you're busting for them to get excited or to get angry. Either will do. I don't mind. Just do something. Right? But low in emotions. Not very strong in expressing. Even tempered. Even keeled. And that, in, in, in the long run, that's a much, much better way to be, obviously. So slowly, my worry habit began to come out of my system, and I learned that this is a far better way to actually live, and I ceased to worry. You see, so God can bring you together with a partner whose complementary nature will, will, will help you to deal with issues within yourself. He's the, the master designer here if you cooperate with him. So what is a phlegmatic husband like? Typically quiet, might be brilliant. Could be a, a man of great brilliance, but no one will ever know. Because he wouldn't tell you. The quiet type, stoic type, in some ways. Non-confrontational. But the trouble for the wife with a phlegmatic husband is often they don't seek promotion, they don't seek a job even. And that can be very frustrating, especially if it's a cleric wife, if it's a wife with some go, go for that job. Go for that promotion. And within a marriage, this thing causes chaos, you see, if you don't dwell with understanding. And you don't, because you'll judge your partner. You'll judge your boss. You'll judge your relatives because you don't understand their makeup. And that's what Peter is saying. He's giving us good, wise advice for life. Not just for marriage, but just, you know, for the whole of life and for getting through it in a much easier way. So the phlegmatic husband, he can lack drive in work. Maybe he doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to go for promotion. He's quite happy because he's happy anyway. 
He's a happy sort, but that can cause great frustrations within the wife. The phlegmatic wife is extremely easygoing. I say Jeanette is phlegmatic, but they tend not to be very good housekeepers. <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> let me tell you something, folks. Let me, let me tell you, this is the whole truth, right? See, <laughs> see in our house, you wouldn't be able to get into our house for rubbish if it wasn't for me. Because you know what she'll do? No, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Let me finish. Let me finish. She just does not have it in her nature to do any ironing, washing, cooking, cleaning. It's not in her mind. She, and she is an extreme phlegmatic in this regard. And Jeanette will come home and she will quite happily go into the dining room where she sits and she will sit in the presence of God. And I love that. Right? Ah, that shocked you, didn't it? <laughs> I like that. I don't mind that at all. And I've grown to know that. That's her way. And I accept it. It would probably drive some other men mad, crazy. But it doesn't drive me crazy. Because I would rather, that to me that's more important. She said, oh, I didn't get this done because I was praying. Fine, you carry on praying. No problem. Uh, is it always easy? No, of course it's not. But she doesn't have it in her natural makeup to do the typical things around the house. So what I would do is I would come home, sometimes I've lost my temper. <gasps> Half. And oh, there's nothing done. Hallelujah. Stop your hallelujahs and do the washing now. She's in there. I said, come on, come on in, we've got to do this. No, she's very, very, very cooperative. And we do all the housework sort of together. We do 50-50. As say in some marriages that wouldn't work, it works perfectly for us, right? Because I understand that. She accepts me with all my little ways. She helped me get worry out of my system and didn't judge me for it. And I accept her that she doesn't mean any harm to me by sitting looking out the window when there's no dinner. She doesn't mean any harm. She doesn't mean any harm when there's nothing ironed. You see? That's just her way. Because this is her temperament type. And I, I, I mean, I'm being totally honest. I actually love that. I love that side of my wife. I think it's fantastic because she's very happy, just is. Doesn't need anything, you know, doesn't want anything, just happy and content in herself, content to sit in the presence of God. And I would rather have that than anything because I think it's a great thing to come home to. You can fix your dinner later. Amen. It's a great thing to come home with someone who has peace within their heart. So the phlegmatic wife is not a good housekeeper. We haven't finished. She's not good on personal appearance. Now it's really going to get bad, isn't it? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I can send her, and I've done this, and she will testify that this is the truth. I have sent her into town with hundreds of pounds because she won't buy new clothes or change her, her wardrobe. You know, she'll have something that's nice and she likes and she'll wear it, like, forever. I said, go and get yourself something new. She'll go into town with like two, three, four hundred pounds or something so you can spend it. Come back with nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. True? Again and again. I said, right, come in with me. I don't want to go walking looking at women's clothes in the shop. I said, what do you think of this? You know, but she doesn't. She's so happy within herself. This is the phlegmatic. All I'm saying, folks, husbands, are you listening? You may have a phlegmatic wife who may not be that keen around the house. Don't judge her for it. Understand her. She may not be, you know, she's happy within herself. She doesn't need a new pair of shoes. 
doesn't need a new top. She's happy inside. So accept that and understand that. Don't be pushy or, or judge. And this is what happens. This is what Peter is getting at here. Don't judge one another within a marriage because that, that's, that's very wrong and you will not be happy that way. Next, we've got the sanguine. Now, as I said, there's, there's a mixture. You can have one extrovert type of temperament and, and, and one introvert type. But these are the actors, the salespeople, the teachers, the speakers. Negatively, they can be restless. They have a huge ego, typically very high on ego, unstable emotionally, and talk too much. Whew, we must have a few sanguines round here then. Hi, Gordon. <laughs> We've got a whole row of them here. <laughs> talk too much, right? Positively, they can be very optimistic, and that's great. Always see a way out. Always see a way forward. They can be fun, full of fun, right? Negatively, uh, restless and an and inflated ego. I would put one warning with the sanguine husband. The sanguine husband has the tendency to be a flirt. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? I'll tell you why. Because he's a talker. He can talk. And listen, women like men. Very, uh, a woman, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? And this is uh, this just to, it, it's something to, to, to be warned about. Women can be susceptible to speech. It was the talk of the devil that led Eve astray, right? So you've got to watch, if you're married to a sanguine husband, a man, then particularly watch him. Listen, what type of person is this? Listen, he's the life and soul of the party, right? And he walks in a room, all the attention will be on him. He will talk, 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 talk. And it's not bad either. It's quite interesting. And women tend to flock to people like that. So you see the problem. Once again, as churches, as believers, we should see this and say, right, if my husband is a sanguine, or if you find yourself as that personality type, that temperament type, then you need extra caution. Simple as that. You need extra caution. You need to see that in yourself and not just you know, blow with the wind, as I say, but catch something back because it's not good. It's not good. You have one wife, amen, and you should focus on that person and vice versa. It's not good. It's not healthy. By all means, keep your bubbly personality or whatever. That's absolutely fine, but it needs to be sanctified, amen. So the husband needs to be careful and the wife can no doubt help him with that. The wife, the sanguine wife, well, this is the best type of wife you can get. This is her dominant temperament type because she's extremely forgiving. She's got few, is that hang-ups? No, hang-ups. She's got few hang-ups. She's very easygoing. This is the best type of wife that you can find. Jeanette is a sanguine. And that, it's very, God has blessed me. He has really blessed me. And especially when I work with many marriages, I go home and I say, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Because she's easygoing, even-tempered, and that is just fantastic. And we're not finished. <laughs> There's another one here, and this is a biggie. Now, many of you are professionals, so many of you have this as your dominant temperament characteristic, the cleric, okay? This is the leader. The cleric, the leader in the home, whether you're male or female, makes no difference. The cleric is the one who will always be the producer, the leader. Eileen, typical cleric. Pui, typical cleric. Enken, cleric, right? Don't judge it. Don't judge it. It's there for a reason. It's a gift for a reason. It's to be sanctified. I'm a cleric. It's my first dominant temperament. So these are the producers. These are the doers. These are the leaders, right? 
Now, there's a lot of problems with this, and you have to be extra, extra careful, I think, with this one. Negatively, clerics can have a bad temper because they want to get their way. They want to get the job done. They can be very cold in speech, so they just give out orders. I can be terrible for that. But listen, please, understand this. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. And the same with Eileen. Eileen leads the worship, the whole worship team. There's a lot of people in that, about 26. And she has to give out orders. But sometimes, true, she'll be saying something like, do this and do that. People, oh, say please, you know. <laughs> say it nicely. But she doesn't mean any harm when she says, just do this. And She's just a cleric. It's just her nature. And it's the same with me. Listen, I can be very cold in my speech at home to my wife. I can. And I should not be that way. I don't mean that you have to have, you know, please and thank yous and everything else, although that's perfectly fine. At home, you should relax. But sometimes I just let my guard down and I become the ultimate cleric who's just giving out orders. That's not acceptable. You know what I mean? It's not acceptable. I, I see this in me. And she understands that that's my nature. It's my temperament. We need it. The church needs it. The world needs it. We need leaders. Amen. But I need to sanctify that to some degree. I think of Pastor Rick, and many of you will know Pastor Rick. He's our worldwide overseer. When he came into Dublin, I mean, Rick is a cleric, 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 you know? <laughs> plus, plus, plus. He, there is, he, he, he's extremely, I mean, you get over 100,000 people in your church, you know you're going to have a job to do. So I understand that, but I could bang my head off the wall with the lack of grace and understanding from some of our members in receiving him. I mean, when he came in, he needed, there was a lot of things needed changing. So he would say, right, this is what I want you to do. You do this, that, and he's just giving out orders. I'm off, I'm excited. Other people are saying, huh, you're not going to talk to me like that. Oh, for heaven's sake. He's a leader coming in to do a job. Are you that delicate? Are you that much of an orchid that you can't take just a, l a little instruction? Come on, right? So the cleric needs to be received. You need the cleric. You need the cleric. You need that leader in your home, in your workplace or whatever. So understand them. Don't judge them. It's very easy. You know, I've got better over the years. I used to be dreadful. I used to be very cold in speech. But husbands, ask yourselves, are you cold in speech towards your wife? Do you just say things? Watch it especially if it's to do with leadership. I've tempered down, but you know yourselves, folks, even here in this little small church where there's many things that you may come, you know, collide with in your leadership skills. So the cleric is a, is a very, it's a, uh, it's a dominant type of, of temperament. It's a strong type of temperament. Negatively, they can be hot-tempered, cold in speech. Positively, they're strong, and that's just fantastic. The cleric husband, watch those things sanctify them and the cleric wife and this is where it really gets I think this type of wife is probably the most difficult has the most problems of all the types of wife and let me tell you why because she is the doer now she's got a husband <laughs> but she will so often be the doer she will think that she can do everything better than him doesn't matter what it is put the kettle oh, I'll, I'll put the kettle on I can do that far better than you <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is she can do it better. That's her thinking, and that's why she's successful. Clerics seldom fail. Except, you listening? Clerics seldom fail in life. But they do fail in one thing. Home. The home. They can use the home. 
and it doesn't work. So the cleric has no appreciation of love, if you like. It's a very weak thing. If love is not high on the cleric's mind, that leader types, it's not high on their mind. And so within the home, they tend to, 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 to lose appreciation for their partner. And you've just got to watch that in yourself. This, this type of wife, a cleric wife, will be bossy. She will be the ruler of her home. And she will most commonly think, why isn't everybody on earth just like me? That would be simple, wouldn't it? You know? That's a personality type, a temperament type. And it's one that you should watch for. Now, as I say, back to the beginning. You, you assess yourself. You look at these types here. Which, under the melancholy, which is the moody type, or the, the phlegmatic, under the introvert types, which would you be? Choose one. Because you probably have a dominant one. Under the extrovert types, choose one. For me, it's, it's pretty clear. I can see myself in there, and I thank God that I can also see Jeanette. And that then helps me to live a happier life. It's not just at home, is it, though? It's also in the workplace. It's in everywhere I go. And I want you to think about it. That's all. Just simply think about it. Think about, don't just let the weeds grow. Think about how you've been growing up. Think about your gene pool. And tomorrow when you go in to your workplace, just think about your boss a moment. Put yourself in his shoes. Why is he the way he is? Be more understanding. Think about it in your family relationships. Think about it in your college. And of course, think about it in your marriages. Let me tell you, just to finish this morning, let me tell you a story. I don't want to mention any names. <laughs> I was in a room of about 50 or 60 people. And everybody in that room had a problem with a person who hadn't arrived yet. And we were all sitting around and there was seats everywhere, many, many seats, empty seats. And we were all just talking. And this person walked in, the person that everybody had a problem with. And I watched them enter. And they scanned the room, looked around. They needed to sit somewhere. And I remember that person walked over, looked around, and sat right down beside us. And you know why she did that? Because of understanding. Oh, she had some problems, some severe problems. But as she looked across that room, I thank God that I know what entered her mind was, you won't judge me. I know I've got problems. But I think that you will give me a chance. You'll understand me. Do you mind if I just sit beside you a moment? That's Christ-like temperament in action. And see tomorrow when you're in work, see the person that no one's talking to. Do you understand them? Are you the one in the office that is the light and being different in that or just like everybody else? See in college or in your halls of residence, are you different? Very easy to judge, isn't it? Very easy to judge without any understanding whatsoever. And we're not called to do that. We're called to be the light of the world. So in your family, in your college, in your workplace, think about others. Try and understand them. Try and understand yourself. And change to this. Import all those Christ-like qualities that God wants us to have. Just going to invite the worship team back. We'd like to stand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be transformed as you have told us to be, that we would change form, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we give ourselves to you this day as we leave this place, God, 
Would you help us be the light of the world, the salt of the earth? And God, if we have judged our husbands or our wives, forgive us. If we have judged the people we live with, simply because of a temperament, God, forgive us. Help us to be more gracious, not just in this building and with our church friends, but in college, in the workplace, or wherever we find ourselves. God, we embrace a Christ-like mentality, no matter what it costs. We give up our old ways, God.